this um this sermon this morning. Uh, we'll we'll be out of John chapter two. Um, I'm getting. I think it's John chapter two. I'm I'm, I'm kind of studying two sermons at the at the time, so sometimes I get it mixed up. But it's John chapter two is is the is the woman at the well, and then next week we're going to go John chapter four, which is John chapter four is woman at the well. John chapter two is uh, the the wine narrative. So. Anybody want to read it? Or can we read it a little bit in the round? Can we try that? I'll kick it off. John chapter 2, verse 1. I'll read two verses and then somebody else jump in. Um, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Someone will follow that one up. All right, let's set this passage up real quick before we kind of get into the wine and the women. If somebody has, can, can do me a favor and read John 151. So the verse that starts, that starts right before this passage. Someone read that verse. Good. When we talked two weeks ago, we talked about the baptism of Christ and we talked about heaven, again, being kind of open, right? We talked about um, that tearing open of heaven that is, is used in the book of Mark. David Garland in his commentary said, what is open may be closed. What is ripped, what is torn cannot easily return to its former state. When Jesus comes out of the water, this great line, when Jesus comes out of the water, all heaven breaks loose, right? When Jesus comes out of the water, all heaven breaks loose. And we have a kind of a similar picture here. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's actually talking to a guy named Philip and Nathaniel. And he says, I'm going to tell you that you're going to see heaven being open, right? And there's going to be this mingling between heaven and earth. And so with this context of the open heaven, the question we could ask is, well, what does an open heaven look like, right? What is this like? And so Jesus 
gives us an example, or the, or the, the writer of John gives us this example of, like, here's a picture of open heaven, a wedding feast. And maybe you did that mental math where there's somewhere at approximately 150 gallons of wine, right? Which is a lot, to say the least, right? That is quite a bit. So you get this picture of, a, of what does an open heaven look like? It's a wedding feast, right? And I've, I think I've said this before. One of my favorite parts about being a pastor is weddings. I love to be with folks on their, on their wedding day. It's celebration, it's joy, it's extravagance. Verse 10, I, I love this. I think verse 10 kind of almost summarizes up this open heaven where verse 10 says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. And then the last part, you've saved the best till now, right? If we could describe open heaven, this wedding feast, I'm gonna write it up small here in the corner, but the best is now, right? What does open heaven look like? When heaven is torn open, what does it look like? This is the image that we get. For some reason, lately I've been doing things in threes and I don't exactly know why I'm doing things in threes, but it just keeps happening for threes. I wanna talk about women, wine, and words, which they're all connected in some way. If you want to make that connection on your own, I won't. She got five wines for her birthday? Whew. All right, the women. You know, here in verse four, we get this, this interesting moment, and maybe you read, you know, you kind of read this. We, we, there's always this interesting moment where Jesus uses this word, what does he say, that's kind of disrespectful. Right? Woman, why do you bother me now? Woman, why are you, um, why are you involving me? Woman, right? And we kind of read this, and it often is associated with disrespect or harshness, right? Even today, if you were to kind of jokingly say, woman, you get into the kitchen and, and do this, or woman, don't do that. You know, there's, there's like this disrespect or harshness that's incorporated with this word when Jesus says woman, right? Martin Luther the old school Martin Luther, the 15th century um, Reformation Martin Luther, he has a sermon on this, and I'm going to summarize a little bit of it, and then I want to quote from him at the end. But what Luther says in his sermon is he says that Jesus' words, Jesus' word here, woman, why do you involve me in such things? Why do you, why do you, are you making me do these things? They sound harsh and unkind, right? Maybe at the first kind of Passover, like, man, Jesus kind of relax, right? But Luther says that Mary in her heart, she's not interpreting those words as anger or unkindness. What she does is hold firmly to the conviction that Jesus is kind, refusing to give up on that opinion because of the word she received. And she's, Mary is unwilling to dishonor Jesus in her heart by imagining him to be anything other than kind and gracious, Right? What does she reply with in verse, in verse, um, uh, verse five? She says, go ahead and do whatever he tells you, right? If Mary, say Mary allows these words to be interpreted 
as abrasive, rude, disrespectful. Maybe she's frightened back. Maybe she retreats. Maybe she, she kind of gets into some sort of uh, verbal conflict with Jesus, right? But she, when she tells the servants to do whatever he says, she overcomes a perceptive slight and still expects nothing of him but kindness. You guys with me so far, right? Yeah. So we, we see these words as rude, but Mary in her heart of heart says, no, I know who Jesus is. He's kind and gracious and loving. And even though these words may be like feel like harsh and rude and unkind, that's not coming from the nature of Jesus's heart. Let me quote Luther here. He says, the highest thought in this gospel lesson, and it must ever be kept in mind, is that we honor God as being good and gracious, even if he acts and speaks otherwise. And all our understanding and feeling might be otherwise, right? If we encounter God's words as rude or, or aggressive or pithy or mean, right? We, we say, no, no, no. The highest the highest thought is that we honor God as being good and gracious above all. And he ends by saying this, she is certain that he will be gracious, although she does not feel it, right? So Luther has this great line in here where he says, again, Mary interprets God's words through the lens of his kind, gracious, loving character, not through the words that we would seem as, as rude or, or, or um, disrespectful. Another way to put it like this, and this is... Um, this is the short version of what Luther just says by Dallas Willard. Um, and Dallas says, I'm going to put this up here. He says, don't ever, let me, I'm going to write this in caps, ever. Dallas Willard says, don't ever believe anything bad about God, right? Don't ever believe anything. And that's kind of what we really just truly believe Jesus, what is in his nature, right? When we encounter these words as woman, right? Do we encounter them as, oh man, Jesus is getting kind of out of hand again. He's getting rude. He's getting disrespectful. Here he goes again, right? Or do we say, no, 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 no. That's not how I'm going to interpret these words, right? It really comes down to what do we believe about the nature of God, the nature of Jesus, right? Um, so when you encounter this, this kind of woman piece, again, I would just say this as we encounter, and this, this happens oftentimes throughout the Bible when it offends our sensibilities and it offends our, our perceptions and it offends certain things about, about us. And then we just have to say, God, I won't ever believe anything bad about you, right? I won't believe you to be mean and cruel and unjust and wicked and nasty and vengeful and spiteful. I will continue to see through you, see you through the lens of a gracious and loving Savior who went to the cross that while I was still a sinner, while I was mired in my sins, while the world was mired in their sins, Christ died for me, right? Okay. Let's go to the wine piece, wine. This is why you all came this morning. Uh, here's a question. How far is too far? Anybody remember asking, <laughs> asking this question like when you were dating? And you were like, anybody remember this? Everybody's being bashful right now. 
John, you remember that. Um, I was listening, this was probably over a decade ago, my mentor Adam was doing like a question and response sermon. And so someone wrote in this question to him, how far is too far? And then at the bottom of the little slip, they said, when it comes to drinking, what were you thinking? <laughs> and so then he kind of, you know, he, he ripped on this question a little bit. Um, but the question that they asked was really a good question. Like, when it comes to drinking, how far is too far, right? Has anybody ever thought about that question? Like, how far is too far when it comes to drinking? And what Adam even said in his response, he said, what you're asking in this question is how far can I press the limit without sinning, right? How far can I press that line without crossing it, right? And he said that the very inclination to do that is the sin in itself, right? Because it's the same thing as saying, um, honey, how much flirting can I do with someone else before it's adultery? Like, how much are you comfortable with? Like, if I would, you know, hold hands with another woman, is that okay? If I were to give her a, a massage? And, and then you kind of think like, like, whatever's behind that question is the issue itself, Right? The very fact that you want to flirt with someone other than your spouse really lays bare the nature of your heart, right? So Adams would say that the very inclination to press the limit, to move towards that line, is the sin in itself. Now, in the Bible, wine is celebrated All throughout the Bible. When you look at wine throughout the Bible, it's always in this celebratory um, fashion. Even here in Jesus's, um, in, in this passage. What's condemned, what's deplored, is drunkenness, right? All throughout the Bible, wine is celebrated, drunkenness is deplored and, conde- and condemned. Let me say one thing though. I will put like a little asterisk at the end of that. There's a, one, one particular place in the Bible, and I don't know if you guys know this, and I'm going to leave this up for you to do your own homework on this. There's one particular place in the Bible where drunkenness is actually con, um, condoned and, and, and advocated for. Um, so you'll have to kind of go do your own little homework to find out where that is. But there's a spot in the Bible where, where the Bible says, yeah, it's, it's good to get drunk. It's good to, get, um, it's good to have that happens. So you'll have to do your own homework on that. That's a little asterisk, right? But here's, here's the question, right? Again, when we think about this wine question and we think about the question, you know, this kind of how far is too far, or how much is too much or, or those sorts of things. I think that the, the, real, the real hint, the real answer is found, I think it's in verse six. I'm sorry, verse five. Again, Mary says these words. She says, do whatever he tells you to. Right? Verse 5. Do whatever he tells you to. Or some translations will say, whatever he says to do, you do it. Right? I was thinking about this um, as I, you know, kind of think about wine. Think about the role that wine plays in our lives or alcohol or consumption of alcohol, right? Um, When we think about this, right, and in Jesus' day and in our day, I would say that um, wine flows from obedience, right? Wine flows from obedience. 
an interactive, relational obedience to Jesus. Oftentimes what I see is people just want, they just want wine without any relational obedience, right? The servants of Christ, right? The servants at this, at this wedding and us as servants of Christ think they can skip the, God, what are you telling me to do here? And they just think that we can kind of say, nah, I, I don't really like this. Let me just do whatever feels good, <laughs> right? Wine, I would say, flows from obedience and interactive relational obedience, not just whatever feels good. So we have to go through the imperative questioning time and time again in relation to this context, in relation to our consumption of alcohol, in relation to wine. We have to ask, Jesus, does this diminish or enhance my relationship with you, right? Jesus, is this a setting that I'm in right now where my drinking might not be the best representation of you as a follower of Christ? Is my, hold on, I'm going to get a little closer to home. Is my purchase and consumption of alcohol something that I can converse with Jesus about? Am I spending more a month on alcohol than generosity towards other people, towards the mission of the church, towards beyond, towards sponsoring kids who need help, right? Am I open, Jesus, to you telling me, no, it's not a good time to drink? Am I open to you telling me, yes, have two, right? These are the dynamic, interactive steps we have to take with alcohol. And I would say, especially here, when we see how destructive this can be, this, this wine question, this alcohol question. A lot of you guys knew I grew up um, at Teen Challenge with my dad and, and with, my, with my whole family, and I just saw the gutter of alcoholism when it goes unchecked, when there's no obedience, when there's no relationship associated with it with Christ, right? Wine flows from obedience to Christ, right? That's how we do it, but we got to go through the protocol. You got to sit down and you got to talk to the Lord about it. Just as anything in our lives, we have to ask, God, what's happening here in my heart and my soul? Is this a good time for me? Is this something that I need to abstain from? Is this something that Lord, yes, okay, you're, you're giving me the freedom to do here. But we have to go through the protocol. Last one. I'll do one other color. I think I got some more purple. I want to talk about the words. So the words that Jesus gives, the instructions that Jesus gives are pretty simple. The words that he gives, he gives three words. He says, um, he says I want you to go fill the water. Or fill, the, fill the, the tanks, right? Go f- fill the tanks. Fill the jars, right? Fill. Draw the wine, right? Draw the wine. Take the wine out. And then take it to the master of the ceremonies, right? Fill, draw, and take. Bruner has such a great quote on this when he talks about words. And I, we'll kind of end with this. He says, the condition throughout the gospel for all of Jesus' divine interventions, is exquisitely easy. Trust by doing something simple. Can I say that one more time? The condition throughout the Gospels for all of Jesus' divine interventions is exquisitely easy. It's trust by doing something simple. And when we think about our relationship with Jesus, when we think about him giving us his easy yoke, giving us simple tasks, He is directing us again 
and again and again in our hearts with his unsophisticated grace. He's leading you in worship on Sunday morning, and yet he's with you at work on or Sunday morning with worship and at work on Monday morning. And when we encounter Jesus, it's just kind of straightforward. Jesus isn't trying to trick us or fool us or give us these elaborate you know, instructions. When we encounter Jesus' straightforward, uncomplicated words, we follow them, right? When we follow them, I would say, then we kind of come all the way back full circle. We come all the way back full circle. We see heaven being torn open, right? We see the kingdom of God breaking forth in our lives, in my life, in the lives of those around us. And we see this celebration that is anything beyond what we can imagine. So, I think that's all about, that's about all I got for this morning. Women, wine, and words. Yeah? Should we do a little discussion? A little, little time for that? Or should we just, uh, I did bring a couple bottles of wine if we just wanted to open them. Just, I'll say goodbye to the Facebook people. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll do a little discussion. All right. Anybody got anything they'd want to kind of reflect on?